Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. I love to travel, to experience other cultures, to see other landscapes, to see different countries, to meet people from, from other cultures, from other countries, from other parts of the world. And I sure hope that uh, it will be easier in the near future to travel on, on a global basis. So here in uh, Europe, it is almost back to normal. A little more paperwork than usual, but um, it, it works. And um, I'm recording this one, this episode, uh, late October. Uh, it seems like the US will open up in a few days. China will probably be locked a little longer. But anyway, um, I love to travel before we had the pandemic. And I hope that I will be able to return to, to a, well, a little more elaborated travel schedule after the, the pandemic pretty, pretty soon. What I like about getting into contact with other people, with people from other regions of the world, from other cultures, is that suddenly the obvious is questioned. The things that uh, we take for a totally normal are not so normal as we actually think and you can only learn this if you see someone else if you experience someone else doing things in a totally different way and um, this allows you learning through reflection by reflecting your own behavior against someone else's uh, by reflecting your values against somebody else's values uh, by reflecting your style of work, your decision-making, um, your way of interacting with technology or everything by reflecting that against somebody else's and um, the other way around. And this, this is the reason why I love to travel and this is the reason why um, I'm very much interested in all these intercultural, cross-cultural issues that, that we have on different levels. One uh, remark, um, I'm not talking about this d business travel bubble, as I call it. So if, if you're on a business trip, uh, it needs to be efficient. It is very tight. You have uh, squeezed schedules. You touch down at an airport and most of the airports uh, on, on those will look more or less the same. And then all the same procedures work everywhere. You then may take a taxi or a, a coach or some, some may even have a chauffeur that, that brings you to an international hotel. And again, they function more or less the same all over the world. 
and then you have some business meetings and then you have the same thing in return um this is not what i mean so when, when i'm on one of these trips i try to to add a few days and break out every now and then and for example to go to a local food market to to take public transport in, in a different country uh, to go out and, and not eat in one of these international standardized places but go to to one of the local places so um, when, when i'm in china at my client there we went very often to a place they call the noodle place which is well which was selling actually noodles handmade noodles and soups with different kinds of dishes and um, that was far beyond any experience a regular business traveler has and to just go there and and have some of the original food and, and see some of the original people there so Business travel on international level is not cross-cultural travel. It is more or less an inner culture. It's a business travel culture uh, travel that you do. But um, I'm, I'm talking more about, let's say, the the real thing, the um, meeting real people and, and, and leaving this business, business class bubble we are very often in. Quick reference uh, to an interview I did with Rüdiger Heimgärtner in the German version of my podcast um, that was published in April this year. And it circled exactly around these cross-cultural and uh, intercultural issues. And he's one of the top professionals on a global basis in this area. He published a book um, which is available in English and I heavily recommend this one. Uh, it is pretty thick. It is very scientific. It is pretty theoretical. But it contains a lot of knowledge, tons of insights, and it is extremely useful if you work on intercultural user interface design. So Rüdiger Heimgärtner, uh, the book is called Intercultural User Interface Design. Just type that into um, the search window of, of your preferred bookstore and, and you will find it there. So um, another upfront remark before we get down to the point, uh, talking about uh, intercultural issues, talking about different cultures is always a bit like a dance on a razor's edge. It's always a bit dangerous because you handle stereotypes. So you say, uh, the Asians do it like this way, or in China it is like that, or the Americans are like this. And of course, every one of us knows someone that will not fit into that stereotype that is somehow different. And uh, But uh, the these um, uh, stereotypes, they're very helpful in communication because differences actually exist. And if you ignore them, uh, it may hinder communication. And it also makes HMI, Human Machine Interface Design, Usability, User Experience Design, much more difficult. And to get into the issue, so if it's about communication, we talk about um, cult, uh, cultural differences, for example, in rituals, in, in eating, in greeting. For example, if you travel to uh, 
Japan, um, if you greet someone, you do not touch these people. You just bend over a bit. And or if you go to Southeast Asia, you have uh, you put your hand palms uh, together in front of your your breast, and then uh, that's the way of greeting. If you go to uh, Germany, uh, we are still very much a handshaking society. I mean, it's uh, suppressed now in, in the pandemic times, but it will return. It, it's deeply inherent in our genes and our culture to, to shake hands when you meet someone. If you go to Southern Europe, countries like Spain or France or, or Italy, um, there it is normal to, to give the, the so-called bisous, the little kisses on the cheeks. Um, yeah, so, so it's different ways of greetings in, in different cultures. Um, another point is the exchange of business cards, um, the role it plays in general, but also the way you do it. So if, if you exchange a business card with uh, someone from Asia, you hand it over with two hands and then you bend over a bit and um, you read the one of uh, the one you receive. And um, yeah, then, then you have the chance to, to start a good conversation. In uh, Germany, it's a little less formal. You just exchange it, and, yeah, you respect it, and, and that's it. And then you focus more on the person itself, opposed to, to the business card. Another um, point that is different between cultures is the physical distance, the, the personal space around us. Um, we in Germany, we have a comparably large um, personal space. It's uh, even bigger in, in Northern Europe, in Scandinavia. It's a little smaller in Southern Europe. It's very small in, in uh, South America. So they have comparably small personal rooms around them. And um, so you can, if you, if you talk to someone from a different culture and you have different personal spaces, different physical distances you prefer to, to a stranger or to someone you do not really know, um, then this might, might lead to, to pretty, pretty cool effects that uh, the one person steps closer to the other, and then the other makes a step backward. And so that, that is called the conference tango. Um, so if you have people from different countries talking on conference, you can see this every now and then, um, that they do not find a common... Uh, physical distance uh, to to each other. Other things um, that are uh, in, in culturally inherited is uh, the relationship to the elderly, relationships between uh, the genders, the sexes, um, the perception of danger, for example, or handling risks. That is also different in, in different cultures. And so far on the communication and um, then a little more about the HMI design here. It is about gestures, about units, formats, fonts, color connotations, uh, the entire kind of interaction, the perception of technologies. And this this is the thing that, that I want to get deeper in, in this podcast episode and, and, and uh, talk a bit about and, and talk a bit about my experiences and also talk about um, solutions that I'm having for this. To summarize this one with a, um, a statement of Gerd Hofstede, he is a guy from Holland and uh, he is the grandmaster of cross-cultural intercultural communication. 
And um, I, I think his stuff is so interesting that I will set up a, a separate podcast episode on him and his work. Uh, here is just one single statement and then I will not refer to him anymore. So he says, statements about culture do not describe reality. They're all generalized and they're all relative. Or, um, as I would say it, culture and cultural differences, they are relevant, but they should not separate. Um, the knowledge about them should bring us together and make communication easier. Okay, since we talk about culture, I think we need a definition of culture up front. So here in this context, I'm talking about culture primarily by a region. Um, so different parts of the globe have different cultures. But cultural differences also exist within regions. For example, um, a good example are pilots, so, so aircraft pilots. They're highly selected up front with a more or less with a more or less the same procedure everywhere on the globe. And then they receive more or less the same education all across the globe and they have pretty much the same social status around the globe and then the same profession. And so if you have uh, two pilots from different parts of the world, their cultural behavior, uh, particularly about their professional behavior, that may be very, very similar, um, but it may be very different from people from, from the same culture. So <clears throat> a German, German pilot may be totally different from a German doctor or a German uh, waiter, uh, but it may be very similar to a pilot from Saudi Arabia or uh, South America. And you have the same, like the biker culture, the rocker culture, um, rock music cultures, fan cultures, sports fan culture. Um, that's pretty much the same. They may build their own cultures within a region and may be similar to other cultures uh, or to yeah to other cultures from other regions of the world. So, but but uh, basically, uh, what I'm talking here about is the regional culture. Where on the world are you, and, and what kind of um, yeah differentiation you have to to other cultures in the world. And um, another. Um, older definition of culture is the one of, of high culture, of just like classical music and classical art. And, and then you had the cultured ones, and then you had the wild people out there without any culture. And I find this um, uh, definition of culture racist. Um, it is outdated, uh, hardly anyone uses it. And uh, so this uh, seeing culture as, as high culture, as, as classical music, classical art, um, that is outdated. Today, culture is defined as the collective mental programming of people belonging to a group. And the group here maybe means a region you're in. And... Uh, The um, cultures can also develop in social group, in gangs or in, in um, secret societies um, or in, in professional groups, as, as already talked about it. The general understanding of culture, it is defined on a geographical basis, on continents, countries and regions. 
Um, culture is strongly influenced by these region, regional differences. Um, so you may have the Asian, cult, Asian culture, American, African, or European cultures. You may have within Europe a German culture, a Danish or a Greek culture. Or even within Germany, uh, we have different cultures like the Bavarian culture or the northern German Hanseatic culture. Um, that, that by many means, um, there are um, serious differences in that. And in contrast to the earlier definitions of culture, these differences also affect everyday objects, everyday actions or values that you have, and not only the, the traditional high culture. So uh, it is more like the difference between Maria Kalles and Kabuki and Yankari and the German Schuppelatler, or is it more like Goethe versus Shakespeare, Beethoven or Metallica, or uh, uh, Freddie Quinn, or maybe an international artist, uh, Johnny Cash. So, um, so that that is, um, um, yeah, that is culture. Um, it is also about what is cooked, how do children learn social norms and, and social lives, um, which gestures mean what, what connotations, what meaning do colors have, how are elderly treated, uh, when are everyday uh, things done. So, for example, in German, the dinner is usually taken at 6 or 6.30 p.m., the Americans a little later, maybe 8 p.m. And in Spain, the main meal of the day is at 10 p.m. in, in the evening. Then we talked already about, about the personal space. Um, how do I feel comfortable in a physical relationship to others? How do I greet others? And um, how, how big is the distance between an employee and a boss? So all this is culture, all these everyday things. All that is, um, yeah, all this big melting pot of actions, behaviors, um, recognitions, rituals, um, all this is, is called culture. Let's talk a bit about culture and technology. So the use and the perception of technology, that varies in different cultures. So is, is technology a threat or does it help? And how deeply is technology integrated into everyday life and in which way? How is it perceived? So are our computers and smartphones and tablets, uh, are they sought after tools or are they destroying my personal identity? So these are questions. And Am I carelessly giving my data to the general public or do I pay attention about my privacy? So this, this in Germany, uh, we, we take care a lot about data privacy and uh, it's totally different in other countries. So for example, in Sweden or in, in other, other countries of Scandinavia, you can check on the internet how much money your, your neighbor is making with his or her job. So it's no problem uh, to do it there. And so, so the idea of how much of my privacy, of my private data, do I put into public that, that is heavily driven by, by cultures. The question, how do I use a navigation system in the car? Um, what role does it play when I f try to find targets in an unfamiliar, of unfamiliar environment? And first of all, how does it happen? 
So there are countries in the world, like for example India, that do not have street names or house numbers as we all have it in, in, in most parts of Europe and, and uh, North America. But um, how, how do I navigate in, in such an environment? How is a phone used? Uh, how are smartphones used? And what for are smartphones used in my everyday life? So all these are questions where culture and technology meet. Let's get to, to the core of um, the this podcast episode. So how do culture and HMI, human machine interface, relate with each other? And so we have the normative force of the facts. And um, this uh, is something that, yeah, it's very interesting to see because if you have a look at the big tech guys like Apple, Android, Google, Windows, they have, the, the, I mean, almost every technical device on the world is, is, is running on one of these operating system. And with that comes a an HMI solution that is unified worldwide. So we have the same Apple HMI in any part of the world, the same Google, the same Windows things, and, and um, they work globally. And the big question is, uh, will there remain space long-term for localization? Or will we have a unified HMI world in, in a few years from now? And I discussed this uh, in my interview with uh, Rudiger Heimgärtner, and he has very much the belief that you now it will become more important to localize HMIs. Um, I see it pretty much the same way. There will be differences in the recognition of colors or wordings and the kind of interaction and the information density um, that we can take care uh, that we can take uh, on a global basis so there will remain local differences cultural differences uh, even though we have this strong force from big tech to to unify hmis And um, technological artifacts uh, like cars are sold globally. And the interesting thing here is, and this supports the idea that we will have local differences, that we have localizations in technology, is um, that we see more and more Chinese car companies or Asian car companies opening up development centers in Europe. So, for example, Honda has one near Frankfurt, um, Toyota has one in Brussels. Uh, they also have one in uh, Michigan near Detroit. Um, then uh, the the Geely Group uh, just opened up an office in, in near Frankfurt. Hyundai has one, uh, I think, also near Frankfurt, and in Czechoslovakia also. Um, the big Chinese company Huawei just opened up a development center in Munich. And it's the other way around as well. So Mercedes has a big uh, site in Beijing and um, Audi and, and BMW. They all have development places in, in China as well. And so um, this, this indicates um, that we need these places. I mean, they are there, so they are required, they are needed. And uh, they are to cover the local markets. And, and the local markets here means 
to cover local needs, local use cases, preferences, contexts of use. Um, just, just, just a few examples. So, if uh, you want to build a car for um, uh, the, the central center of the U.S., um, you have to take into account that people carry goods, and, and so maybe a pickup truck, uh, a pickup truck version with a with a cargo area is good there because um, they may transport a cow or a pig from 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 one place to another. Which is something that in, in an inner urban area in, in Berlin or in, in, in Tokyo will never happen. So you will not need a pickup truck there. Um, or if you have a look at the um, uh, the German brands of Audi, BMW, Mercedes, even Volkswagen, you have this. They all have special versions of their cars, of the limousines, um, that are stretched, extended versions there. And they're available in China only and, and, and this is because in China you have um, the fact or you still have drivers so the the guy that buys the car is not sitting behind the steering wheel which is the 99% standard in, in, in Europe and in North America but in China there's still a significant number of people that buy a car but never drive it they are driven in it and then they take uh, the back seat, and so these uh, cars are stretched. And they have an additional, maybe fifteen twenty centimeters. Um, so you get this one. Um, and you have a little more legroom in, in in the back. Yeah. So so those are examples of um, how the car industry is is tackling these these cross cultural differences, and um, the influences on um, localization they are on different levels and i will talk about three levels here um, the aesthetic level the political religious level and the linguist in its broadest sense linguist level there is also a technical a technological level behind this but um, I, I will not uh, put, too, put too much focus on this one, but more on the aesthetics, the political, religious, and the linguistic aspect of uh, intercultural HMI development. And the first one is, um, in aesthetic, is the general appearance, the mood you're transferring. So colors play an important role in that, and I mean colors uh, play play uh, also on the political religious level uh, an important role, and also on the linguistic level, but even on the aesthetic level. One one example is what I had to learn is that we in Germany we we think that uh, black is a beautiful color that it's elegant, it's straight, it's slim, it is uh, is very aesthetic. Whereas Asian users very often see black as dry, as dull, as sad, as empty. So, yeah, so this color plays an important role uh, in, in the mood that is created. And um, colors are not, um, let's say, by nature connected to any mood or any meaning. Um, it is all learned, it's all put on top, and, and so it is different in different uh, cultures. It's the same for decorative uh, elements, for example. So at the moment, um, we're still having this uh, flat design trend without uh, too many decorative uh, elements. 
And um, if if we use something like this in a, let's say, German or European HMI, maybe you have a thin line somewhere, maybe you have some color grading in the background, but uh, it's all very, very low. It's, it's, it's very, very taken back. It is uh, not very obvious. Opposed uh, to, to the US, where it is stronger, more straightforward, and um, even more like in Asia, um, I remember when uh, I had a project with a Korean client, um, they wanted to have it in pink with bubbles and, and uh, yeah, tons of decorative uh, elements. Somebody called it, we want to have it like Tokyo by night with a lot of bling bling, meaning, um, yeah, decorative elements um, uh, everywhere. Another point um, that differs in the aesthetics is the information density that uh, users prefer on a screen. Asian users in general prefer a high information density. So there is a lot of information on a screen. To, to us, it seems like it is squeezed in there and isn't that too much and, and too much information. I can't handle this and... And this, this for me is one of the major uh, differences in, in, uh, in screen designs and HMI designs between different regions of the world. This also connected to, to the room that you have on screen. And I mean, uh, I, I love to have empty rooms on screens. Uh, other people from other cultures that just can't stand it. I mean, it's a waste of space. So why, why isn't there anything there? We can put some additional information in here. And, so, yeah, and, and it's also about the structures. Um, is it the squared structure, the more circular structure? Uh, all that is, is uh, in, the, in the general aesthetics in there. The second uh, uh, aspect I want to discuss here is the political or religious um, aspect. So, um, the... One one example where in, in, in uh, car navigation systems it is very obvious is uh, the, the navigation maps. And maps are a very political thing. There's a lot of political aspects in, in maps. So, for example, um, Eastern Jordania and, and the Gaza Strip, um, they shall be parts of Israel um, in cars that you bring to Israel. And uh, they need to be independent if you uh, uh, ship a car to a uh, Arabic uh, Islamic country. So you have to take care about this because it, it causes serious uh, irritations. Uh, it may even be illegal. Um, best example of it being illegal is, is, is China and, and Taiwan. So if you ship a car to Taiwan, Taiwan needs to be on the navigation map, a separate country. Uh, if you ship the same car to China, to mainland China, it, uh, Taiwan needs to be a part of mainland China there on the map. And if you do not do this, um, this has a legal impact there. So you will simply get into serious trouble. Same with, uh, again, colors. So colors have a certain connotation. And uh, red, for example, in Germany stands for anger, for fear, um, but also for love, for sex. It's somehow erotic. 
Um, and uh, in China, it is more like an elegant color and it's more a festive color. Uh, the um, uh, the brides in China, uh, they they wear red dresses uh, because that is the, the festive color that, that they have there. And um, so you can go through all them. Um, so black uh, is, is the color of sadness in most parts of the world. And some parts of the world, white is the color of sadness. So there is no real connotation between the color and, and the meaning. And the same is... Um, for religious meanings of colors. So um, the Catholic religion knows purple as, as a holy color and um, the Islam also knows purple but even more green as a holy color. And um, you should not use this one in, in, in HMIs just to not hurt religious feelings. The... Um, um, I, I had the, the case that, um, of course, in, 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 on German navigation maps, European, even, I think in most parts of the world, the, the color green is used for landscapes on, on navigation maps. And you should not use this in, in uh, Islamic color in Islamic countries. Uh, so you may you may use gray or, or yellow as an alternative. Um, but but green is a holy color there. It's um, about symbols. Symbols also, um, they are highly culturally uh, connotated. And one example from uh, one of the projects that I had in the past uh, was a car maker from, from Asia, from Southeast Asia, from now Eastern Asia. And um, they wanted to use the swastika, the um, Asian symbol of the sun, to indicate religious buildings on any um, navigation map. And uh, the, 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 the fact is the swastika, the Indian swastika, looks very much like uh, the Nazi Hakenkreuz, like the, the cross they use. So the, the typical Nazi symbol looks pretty much like the swastika. And now imagine somebody driving along a, a Jewish synagogue And then this Nazi symbol is indicating this religious building. This is definitely not possible. This will definitely hurt religious feelings. And, and you, we, we should simply not do this. And um, yeah, uh, not, not use that. And I mean, all these are the things that you can do on, on the political and, and the religious uh, uh, level. And then let's uh, move on to the third level that uh, I want to talk about. It's uh, the linguistic level. Um, first of all, it's about, of course, uh, words, the wordings that you have. And um, even within, let's say, Europe, uh, we have huge problems with uh, these wordings because English, for example, is, is a very is a language with many very short words. You can you can use um, a few letters to express a lot in English. The words in German uh, and in French are clearly longer and uh, uh, pretty much of, of a problem is always Finnish because uh, Finnish has super long words. And so if you have an area on a screen to, to write something on it and it works well in English, you may find out, oop, the space gets tight in, in German and in French, uh, but it really gets a problem if you want to translate uh, this HMI into Finnish. 
So um, this this is a serious problem um, that uh, uh, you should take into account. And if you then go to Asia, I mean, uh, with Korean characters or Japanese and Chinese characters, uh, you can express on a very small space a lot of information. You can, you can, yeah, you can, you can, you can. You need a lot less space to to write in in these fonts. And so, at the end of the day, yeah, um, it is it is um, important to leave the, the correct space in there. Another thing is the different fonts that we have. Um, we think a lot in Latin characters, but we have the Chinese font, we have Japanese and Korean fonts. Um, we have uh, the, the Cyrillic fonts, uh, we have uh, the Greek font. Um, all of them are different. Um, and then we have uh, the BD fonts, the bidirectional fonts uh, used in Arabic and in Hebrew. Um, they are written from right to left and not from left to right, like like most of the other languages are written and most of the other fonts are written. So that is uh, also a thing that needs to be taken into account if you design, uh, if you localize an HMI solution. Date formats. So uh, we very often have the date format day, month, year. In the US, they have month, day, year. Uh, in Asia, they often have year, month, day. So there is enormous room to create serious, not only confusion, but, but serious disasters uh, if, you, if you pick the wrong date format. It's the same with units. I mean, globally, we have almost everywhere the metric units, but uh, the USA, they still stick with their own system and um, that is also used i think in liberia and in myanmar um, but but um, the, the most of the rest of the world is, is uh, in metric units but if you want to go to the us you have to use the local uh, system so gallons instead of liters miles instead of kilometers uh, inches instead of centimeters and so on and so on and so on and so, on. so all those are the things um, that you should take into account um, yeah, okay, Th those were the three levels, um, the aesthetic level, the political religious uh, level, and also the linguistic level, um, that uh, we have differences in um, the localization of HMIs. Okay, um, let's come to the end. Uh, I mean, I could have talked about this uh, another two or three or four hours, and uh, I know that I'm very much on the surface only of this uh, deep problem. But um, I wanted to create some awareness on this one, and um, uh, I hope uh, it worked out in a way. So, culture is defined by belonging to different groups, and uh, these uh, groups are very often uh, defined by geographical regions, by countries um, and, and that, that create cultures. And uh, culture influences the perception, the use, um, the rating, the evaluation of technologies. And HMIs are culturally determined. So there will be a certain amount of localization for the foreseeable future, despite uh, the unification of HMIs uh, done by big tech. Okay, that's it for, for today. Um, if you were able to take something with you from this podcast, if you like it, why not recommending it to one or two other persons in your network? 
The more people uh, listen to the podcast, the higher it will be ranked on the platforms and the more people have the chance to listen to the Human Technology Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.